Hey everyone, thank you so much for making time today and don't know what time you're actually tuning in to watch this because we have this running every hour on the hour from 6 a.m. until 9 p.m. here on this Good Friday. And I'm here with my good friend, Dr. Neil Windham, who has joined our staff in the last year and he has been a friend and a mentor uh, for literally uh, the last 20 years in my life and has come on staff here. And uh, today we're going to do something a little bit different. Normally we don't have the the space and the opportunity for a Good Friday service because we're doing Easter services on Good Fridays just to handle the crowds. Uh, but today, because you're at home or you're at work and we are in an empty room, uh, we have a moment today, Neil, uh, to really create some space for our hearts and our minds. And here's what we're going to do today. It's going to be a little bit different. Uh, one is Neil's going to lead us in a little bit of uh, some teaching and reflection. He's going to have some questions that will happen here in a little bit. Then we're going to worship a little bit. There's going to be a few songs there. Then Neil's going to come back and guide us through a whole nother section of scripture and reflection on Good Friday. And uh, one of the things, Neil, I found interesting this last weekend when we were going through our uh, Philippians series is this. There seems to be a brighter light that happens when Paul is placed in darkness. And sometimes I don't think we can really appreciate the light until we go through some dark times. And I think this is why we need Good Friday. I think maybe this is the only thing good about this Friday is that we have the good news of what Jesus has done, even when the disciples didn't see it or know it at the cross. And uh, so today, um, I'm excited just for us to pause. I think this is happening for a lot of people. They're creating space. They're slowing down. They're recognizing some areas in their life that they're avoiding, and they're allowing God to speak in, and he's doing a new work in their life. And uh, so today, that's our hope and prayer. That's my only ask of you is that you would just kind of over the next 20, maybe 30 minutes, you would create some space, maybe take a couple deep breaths and allow God to speak into your soul today. Neil, take it away, my man. Sure. It's at this point, it feels really awkward because normally when Nate and I are on this stage together, there's a big hug. And I know you're missing that. We're all missing that. It's a difficult time for us to make these adjustments. As if this pandemic weren't enough, my daughter called from Knoxville the other day to say the power went out at her home. And so Joe raced off to the store to buy four canisters of propane. They bought a big ice chest to save what food they had left in the freezer uh, that's part of their refrigerator. I mean, we're all hustling right now to think through how to handle these days how to get through these days. Schools, businesses, people in the community, all kinds of people who are working in government offices. I mean, that list could just go on and on and on. You get the point. We're trying, we're struggling to find new ways. We don't know whether to go out sometimes. We don't know how to get our groceries sometimes. We're hearing all kinds of advice from a variety of people and getting some good ideas. You know, one of the prayers that's been on my heart and in my mind constantly is a prayer for wisdom right now, for people globally to to live the kind of wisdom that is concerned not only for themselves, but for the other. And so a lot of us are really having to retrain our minds to think as uh, Nate's preaching from Philippians. You've got to notice what's going on 
in the lives of other people. It's not all about me. The thing is, we live in an era when so much of what we hear about faith could be described as what one author calls a full solar spirituality. We live in the brightness of the sun. So faith means, man, whatever you ask, on your terms, God's going to deliver. Faith for them means you're going to have complete clarity. You won't have any kind of struggle because you know God's abiding presence is with you. God is never hidden. There is no darkness. All is going to be great. And the truth is, right now, some of those words ring hollow. And that version of faith is not going to carry some of us very far. So we are asking the question, what does happen when the lights go out? What happens when you have a global pandemic? And people everywhere are on alert. And some are acting more wisely than others. And so we're wondering, even as we come into contact with all kinds of people, where they've been, who they've been around, whether they've been exposed, whether we'll be exposed. We, uh, I think it was in our first year of marriage, had a fascinating Thanksgiving dinner, Miriam and I. We had bought a turkey. Now, we didn't need a turkey because there are only two of us there in the house, but we wanted the traditional meal with all the trimmings. And so I prepared the turkey and put it in the oven. About 25 minutes later, in the midst of an ice storm that left half an inch of ice on our power lines and everywhere, the power went out. And so I was scrambling to think, what am I going to do with this turkey in the month of November in central Illinois where it was very cold? I called my landlady. She was in St. Louis. I asked if we could use her oven. I had a key. She let me in. And I put that turkey in her gas oven. And then about 20, 25 minutes later, I came back. And there was smoke pouring underneath the door. It was pouring out of the door there in the kitchen of her house. And I raced in and realized that I had left the rolling pin and I think a box of crackers, if I'm remembering correctly, in the broiler of that gas-operated oven. So we had baked our turkey a little bit, and now we had some smoked turkey, but it wasn't done. And I thought, what am I going to do with this turkey? And I went out on the porch, the screen porch, and found the grill and got the charcoal going. And about 20 degrees, got the charcoal going. And we finished that turkey on the grill. It had been baked and smoked and grilled. It was the trifecta for us. Best meal, Miriam says, we've ever had. What do you do in the darkness when the power goes out? In John 13 through 17, the disciples of Jesus were like frightened little kids. They had all kinds of questions for him because he had said to them three times, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be mocked and spat upon. I'm going to be crucified there. And after three days, I'll rise from the dead. They didn't know how to respond to it. And they were scared to death. 
And so they began to ask their questions of him. Peter said, where are you going? Why can't I come with you? He sounds like a little kid, guys. He sounds like the children whose parents are going out for the evening for dinner and a movie. And they're wondering, are mom and dad coming back? And who in the world's going to come stay with us this time? And they're frightened. And so it is that the disciples continue to ask questions. Thomas says, how can we know the way? And several of them said, you know, he keeps saying, I'm going to be leaving for a little while and in a little while. And then I'll return. I'll come back in a little while. What's this little while? What is Jesus talking about? Frightened. Scared. Anxious. It reminds me of um, the, the amazing thing that Jesus did in anticipation of all of these questions. Do you recall? He took off his coat. He wrapped a towel around his waist, John 13 says. He got down on his knees. And the Lord who made these people washed the feet of his disciples. So, when you were a little kid, your mom said you got to take a bath. It happened many times, maybe more times than you wanted it to happen. I remember my mom saying to me, you really need this bath. It's good for you. Take the bath. And probably before I can remember it, I can envision in my mind's eye mom scrubbing me when I was a little guy and she'd put me in a, in a tub on top of the counter over the, near the kitchen sink. And she would give me a bath. And I can well imagine the things she sang to me in those moments. The assurance that she gave me by saying, I love you. I care about you. She's scrubbing me. Taking care of me. As I got a little older, she would say things like, you know, uh, Dad and I are going to be gone this weekend to Houston. But we're coming back, and while we're gone, we're going to send someone to stay with you. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Can't you hear Jesus? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. And I'm going to send somebody. The Helper, the Father, will send the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, to be with you while I'm gone. And he said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to come back so that I can be with you. We'll be together. These are the kinds of words of assurance that we need to hear in these times because we have entered into a season of darkness but I'm here to tell you the lights aren't out. The power has not gone off. God is with us. And I may have been reminded of it in the best possible way by my grandson Whitaker, who when he was 20 months old, sat in the back seat of our car, propped up on one of those children's seats, on a clear night in central Illinois, we were traveling from north 
Dwight, Illinois, down to Lincoln, Illinois, where our home was. Whit was going to stay with us for a couple of days. And the moon was full and bright. It was brilliant and beautiful. It was March, as I recall. The cornfields were empty. But that light from the moon blanketed those cornfields so that we could see, really, literally, for miles that evening. And my 20-month-old grandson, I'm watching him, Miriam's driving, I'm watching him in the back seat. He points at the moon. And I'm not making this up. He said one word. He said, touch. He wanted to touch the moon. Well, developmentally, he's not that far along with spatial awareness. You know, in time, it would become clear to him you can't touch the moon. In time, he would go to school and learn that men had already touched the moon. 20-month-year-old kid, or 20-month-old kid wanting to touch the moon. Because there is something about light. God made the greater light of the sun to govern the day and the moon to govern the night. I'm here to tell you today, those disciples were frightened that night before Jesus was crucified. But the lights had not gone out. And the light has not gone out. And I thank God that we have a moon to provide light for us even in the midst of this darkness. Sure, we're squinting, I know. And we pray that won't go on forever. And it won't. Meanwhile, the moon is just about enough. And we've got to learn this new skill of trusting God in the midst of that moonlight. A lunar spirituality. There are a couple of questions that I would like to put before you, and as we do so, I just want you to let them simmer in your own hearts and minds for a season, at the end of which we will offer a prayer. So pay attention to the questions now. Spend a little time with them.
rather than sing to you or for you, I just want to invite you to sing along with us on this old hymn. Just what Neil had talked about, the importance of being able to trust the Lord in the midst of this time. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take Him at His word just to rest on his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I have proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust Him more. And I'm so glad I learned to trust Precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know like to pray together now. So listen carefully to the words of this prayer. Lord, we really do need you to be close in the midst of this darkness. Some of us are alone. Some have lost jobs. Many are at risk. More and more are sick and some are dying. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. Send your Spirit to comfort us, to plead our case. Help us to receive the challenge of this moment with charity and grace toward our neighbors in the way that our Lord loved us upon the cross. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some years ago, I taught a Life of Christ class to a group of high schoolers. I don't know, maybe they thought I wasn't quite ready to do this with college students. And so I went to their church, and we spent a week together, eight hours a day. Can you imagine this with high school kids? We covered the Sermon on the Mount and many of the other teachings of Jesus. We looked into his miracles and his life. And I was showing video all along the way to reinforce what was being said in the classroom. And also because it was the first time I'd taught the class and it was kind of a bit of a filler thing. But as we got close to the end of the class, I became very, very uneasy. And I realized with time it was because I did not want to see the passion of Jesus. I didn't want to see him crucified on that video. Very much like it was when I watched The Passion of the Christ years ago, Mel Gibson's film. I remember one day in Acts class, there were 80 students in the class that year, and I said to them, do you guys remember Mel Brooks' film, The Passion of the Christ? And slowly a few of them trying to hold it in, they just couldn't hold it in, and then they finally just all of them burst out laughing. We think you meant Mel Gibson, not Mel Brooks, Mr. Wyndham. Oh yeah. Yeah, got that wrong. Subconsciously, I think there was something going on in me. I wanted to lighten the, the spirit. Something about viewing the death of Jesus as portrayed in film. Very, very difficult for me. Maybe it is for you. But doesn't it make sense? The cross is heavy. It was a method of execution that was borrowed from the ancient Assyrians who would put a pole in the ground and sharpen it and impale a person on that pole. The Romans borrowed that method. They changed it up. They made it what in their view may have been some kind of art of execution. And so in Jesus' day, people were being crucified sideways and right side up and upside down. Whole streets could be covered with a site of crosses 10, 20 feet apart when revolutionaries who would not stand up for Caesar and the things of Caesar made their ways known and they paid for it with their lives. There was a political cartoon that showed up, I don't know, in the third or the fourth century depicting a man before a cross worshiping a crucified man with the head of a donkey. And the caption read, Alexamenos worships his God. And it was a blasphemous cartoon. Alexamenos was worshiping Jesus, who was depicted with the head of a donkey. It was foolishness to the pagans. And they didn't mind letting people know that. Rome may have had their, what they called the Pax Romana, the doctrine of worldwide peace, but that that was carried out at the expense of the crucifixions of a lot of people. Folks, the cross is heavy. It's hard for us to take in. It is a deep burden. And that's why today we can't wait for Sunday. I mean, 
Am I right about this? Easter cannot come soon enough, especially this year. Easter just cannot, will not come soon enough. But we're not there yet. It's not Sunday yet. It's Good Friday. And so I'm inviting you, as hard as it is, to stand at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ with Alexamenos, worshiping your God who is suffering on your behalf, who is crying out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? Some of us are feeling it today. We're wondering where God is. And so, Alexamenos and the church of the 21st century are poised at the cross today. Paul said it well, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, somehow I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus, we stand with you this Good Friday. We've been in the season of Lent. The season of Lent is a season of repentance. It's a season of confession. It's a season of mourning. There's been a lot of mourning during the season of Lent this year. I want to come back to that word confession and say just a bit about it. I've been reading uh, uh, a Christian saint from several centuries back, Jean Guillon. She said some things about confession I want to share with you because we're going to be in a moment of confession here just in a second. And I want you to listen to how she depicts it. She says, when you confess, you lay your entire soul open before the Lord. You let the brilliant light of Christ come into you and come over you. You are under examination. Put yourself in a doctor's office on an examination table. The doctor is your friend. The doctor cares about you. The doctor wants you whole. The doctor wants you healed. Remain peaceful, she says, and calm as Christ carries out His work over you, exposing what's wrong in you and with you. If you try to do the examination all on your own, there's a really good chance you're going to deceive yourself that you'll miss things. No, remain calm and allow God to do the work of examination. Let His divine light make even the smallest faults in your world visible. And you want this because you want to get well. Guillaume wrote this, so as soon as you commit a sin, there'll be a deep inward burning, a confusion, she says. And isn't that what sin is? God did not wire us to sin. And when we violate our conscience, normally and naturally we feel guilt. And we should. And it's confusing to us. Confession is a means of getting right with God. It's a means of allowing the good physician to peer into your life to see what's wrong, diagnose it, and prescribe a medicine, give you a remedy. It's such a powerful image for confession. 
Because it's something so often that we fear, we don't want to be involved in. But if you make confession with a desire for healing, you're going to experience a deep feeling of God's love. That really is what ought to happen when we repent of sins and turn away from our sins. There should be this rush, this washing, this deep sense of God's love coming in over us and healing our wounds. So confession is like your doctor. Don't forget that image as we spend a little time in confession here in a moment. Naturally, we are going to feel quite vulnerable in that moment, just like when you go to the doctor and you don't know exactly what's wrong, and you're asking him, you're asking her to help you find out. Here's what I want you to hear about that. Satan wants us to cower away, wants us to believe that God can't do anything about our sins, wants us to stand in judgment over ourselves and give up. Don't you let that happen. Stand your ground with the Lord. Live confidently in the light of His love, of His forgiveness, of the peace that was secured for you on the cross of Jesus Christ. When He stretched out His arms, submitted, and said, we're going to take care of this. This is what we do, church, in a season of confession. The objective work of Jesus Christ on the cross has secured your eternity with God. And the only response I can make to that is hallelujah. Thanks be to God for that incredible gift. Now we want to spend the time with another question. And we follow the question with a practice. So pay attention to what you see on the screen and follow those prompts as we spend this season of confession with Him. And when before the throne 
I stand in Him complete. Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left crimson stain. is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ's solid rock I stand, all of the ground. Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. We'd like to offer a prayer again together. Lord, the enemy seeks to destroy us. It is a miracle of Your grace that we don't fall every moment of our lives. Help us to claim the truth, the victory of the cross of Jesus outright. To know in our hearts that with You, all will be well. To wait patiently for Sunday, for the empty tomb, when we can shout, He is risen! He is risen indeed. Amen. I'm so thankful you all been with us for this Good Friday service. We're sure looking forward to being able to gather online like us on the weekend for Easter. God bless you. We love you. It's going to be a wonderful weekend. We'll see you soon.